1: In episode 515 of the Barcelona podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Rafa Alvin And today we're to continue reviewing the 1 0 win over Porto. How's that sound, Rafa? Uh,
2: let's go ahead. I have a few things to say, so I- I'm pretty excited for this episode.
1: All right. So before we do, however, unfortunately, this is the aftermath of it. If you really want, you know, some of even the pictures of stuff that happened in the game, I had the five headlines last night or yesterday and well, depending on when this comes out so on wednesday night thursday morning that's when the five headlines came out but before we get into the details of the actual game again the unfortunate big news since yesterday is an update on the Lewandowski injury so it's three to four weeks out with a sprained left ankle after the tackle by david Carmo yesterday and you know it's a tough one because there are bad things of this that we're going to get into there are good things and by good things i mean like silver linings here as in the press could get better and a lot better with Torres leading the line, but Jao Felix isn't necessarily the perfect presser either. So I find it ironic that he played under Diego Simeone for a few years and he's not really up to, to speed when it comes to the pressing game that Xavi's asking for. But neither is Lamini Mall, as I mentioned on the five headlines yesterday. But that is something for Lamini Mall at least, that he may not only learn in time, but his body may be able to handle that better down the road. But right now at the moment, it's a 16-year-old, it's Jao Felix, and it's Ferran Torres up top. So the bad, obviously, for Lewandowski is you lose your number nine, you lose your leading goal scorer. And the thing about Lewandowski is not only was he just, yeah, I mean, people were frustrated the way he was this year up and down, but he has six goals this year, leading both categories for Barcelona, as well as leading assists with three assists. Torres has four goals. Felix has three. Gabi has two. Cancelo has two. Rafinha has two. Koundé has one. Fermin Lopez has one. De Jong has one. And Pedri has one. So Barca against Granada on Sunday, will have 13 of their 23 goals that they have scored this season active in that game. I know it doesn't work that way, but that's what Barca has to deal with. And I think, obviously, prediction time, it'll be Joao Felix, Ferran Torres, Lamine Mall, or Fermin Lopez, actually, in the attack for Granada. Then Barca don't play again until the 22nd against Athletic Club, and Rafinha might be back for that one. So, I don't know. The silver lining also is that Barca have to get one more game on Sunday. And then, not to say it's a little bit of a rest a lot of players will go for international duty but in theory that's just time without matches to give the injured the walking injured to get healed
2: no i i agree and that. i don't know if we're cursed or not but it seems like it's it's the same thing around the same time that happened last year obviously last year it was basically our, our entire defense that went down during the most important part of the group stage of the Champions League and then Against we also played El Clásico with Eric with Eric y Roberto, and we not. But right now, it sh- it seems like we're like we're losing players by the game. Like we lost Frankie. I remember if that was against Celta or Mallorca. Then we lost Rafinha, and the next game now we lose Lewandowski in this one against Porto. So I, I agree. It's it, you're like oh thank God that the, the like the FIFA break is around the corner, but at the same time. I mean, knock on wood, <laughs> it's not like we have no international players. Like, basically, all of our team is going to go on international duty as well, especially the South South American World Cup qualifiers, which we know how hard they are. And I'm not like, we just escaped uh, the game against uh, Granada. It's like, even if we manage to get those three points, which hopefully we, w- we were able to do that, then we still got to be on the lookout for the next two weeks during an international break because, sadly, players can get can get injured during that time as well.
1: Well, it's rajo right? Because when you yep. said South American, the only other South American left to go on international duty is Ronald Rajo Yeah,
2: because Rafinha is currently injured.
1: Right, and, and he's not 100% either, that being rajo so I mean, if yes, if I'm the Uruguayan coach, I'm just hoping that yeah, Araujo maybe I'll play him for 45 minutes. But yeah, he's to get on the plane, go through the thing, go through training, and do all that stuff. And yeah, certainly, I think with all the other injuries, all the other lines, if anything, the back line is the only line that is healthy at the moment because there's depth or lacking everywhere else. And that, I mentioned this too at the start when the of the season really when the Champions League roster was released, and I was saying how there are not many first-team players. There are 21 total first-team players that are registered with the first team playing in the Champions League on that roster. And that is not a big number. And so going through like who's going to be the next person, maybe we see on the bench or in the game against Granada, or Shakhtar Donetsk, particularly with Gabi suspended and if nobody's back in time for that one. So the candidates really quickly go down the list here. Anhar Alakan, you have a youth league goal off the bench yesterday. He had a big, long run forward, looked really good. He has not matched fit yet. He didn't even start that match, having just come back from an injury. And he still needs a few more weeks himself to kind of get up to speed at Barca Athletic and U19 level, let alone throwing him into the fire of the first team. Then there's Mark G, also had a goal yesterday. He is 17, 18 in November, but playing as a center forward is different than playing on the wings as a young player. So I have concerns about bringing a 17-year-old center forward up. He's been going between Bars Athletic and u 19s this season as well. So not necessarily being thrown into the Bars Athletic fire right away either. And then the other two, Pau Victor and Diego Perkin, the two 21-year-old center forwards for Bars Athletic, Victor on loan from Girona and Perkan bought from Cultural Leonessa as a depth piece. Those are the other options for Barca Athletic. Victor has played as both the nine and on the left wing next to Perkan and does lead Barca Athletic with four goals and an assist. So in a stopgap moment, it would be the 21-year-old Pau Victor, who is good form. Just put him on the bench just in case the last five, 10 minutes. See what happens here. And then in the Champions League, Anhar Alakan, Alex Garrido, and Mark Casado are the midfielders forwards available in the Champions League against Shakhtar Donetsk. If Fermi Lopez is starting with Gundogan and Oro Romeu, because remember, Gabi is suspended, then it's Jao Felix, Ferran Torres, and lamini all up top. It just has to be those six. Like, that's it. Remember Again, remembering that Gabi is suspended, then those are your options off the bench up top, as in Alarcon Cordido who played wing for just about 10 minutes in his debut last year, and then Casado as your midfielder. And I also will also say, I'll throw in the wrinkle here, that Xavi will keep himself open to the idea of Baldy on the left wing and Alonso behind him. Or yesterday late, it was actually Alonso at left wing and Balde at left back to close out the game. But starting with that (laughs) scenario of Balde on the wing and Alonso behind him, that might be crazy enough for Laporta to come to Xavi's house and rip up his contract renewal, which I assume is how Spanish contracts work. And also to note too, Garrido has been injured quite a bit in the last few months as well, and is just coming back from his own injury and is not yet 100%. And then Casado has been on the bench for seven matches this year, but before you see Casado you're going to see your favorite person, Rafa, in Sergio Roberto, because sorry, but the center backs are healthy, and one of them can deputize at right back while you put Roberto in the midfield. He is still fifth on that three-man depth chart against Granada, though, with Gabi, Gonduin, Vermeeu and Fermin Lopez. So we will see Roberto probably, but I don't think Roberto even starts against Granada because you have those four options for those three spots. Um, but again, looking ahead to Shakhtar Donetsk at the end of the month, Sergio Roberto might start that game. I wouldn't see why he wouldn't start that game over Casado. I know, I know. But it's just like, that's how far down the depth chart we're going that you and I are about to argue about Sergio Roberto over Marc Casado. And there's like one person in the comments, by the way, on YouTube, who was really singing the praise of Marc Casado. And I was like, wow, I get a lot of Casado notes or comments today. And I was like, oh, it's the same user who said a bunch of things over and over about Casado. And he's fine, but I just think Xavi hasn't yet trusted him. And I, I think Xavi might be more inclined to, to trust even a younger player higher up the field before he trusts a, a midfielder. Because midfielder is just so essential to what Xavi's trying to do here.
2: And this is exactly why I've always said that I don't want Sergi Roberto on the roster because whether we like it or not, there's going to be a time where the stars align and he's going to have to play because he's there. And I'd rather see Fermín López get minutes, Mike Casado get minutes. I'd rather see you get minutes in 2023 Instead of Sergi Roberto, like there's no purpose whatsoever of Sergi Roberto getting any type of minutes in 2023. And that's that was one of the reasons that I didn't even want him on the squad because I knew there was going to be a time that this was going to happen. And on top of that, like, I don't want to get into the whole Sergi Roberto thing again, but I don't know because. I watched a little bit of uh Xavi's press conference uh, press conference before the Porto game. I don't I think it was the one before, not the one after, not 100% sure, but now that he's gone back to the 4-3-3 or at least the 4-3-3 with three actual forwards up top because like I got in an argument on my two on my YouTube channel. People saying, "Well, Xavi said that he's always played 4-3-3." I'm like You know what I mean, like a typical 4-3-3 with the three front players being actual forwards, not one of them being Gabi, who's a midfielder, and then drops down, and that eventually becomes a 4-4-2. So with us in the last few games, honestly, like Celta, Mallorca, Sevilla, and Porto, we're getting trashed on the counterattack. It's been on and on and on and on. And it seems like everybody is creating so much danger against us on the counter. But now that we've gone back to the four-three-three with three forwards, that I'm beginning to question how how long will Xavi manage to keep this formation with three forwards up top? And he does. I think he's like he has the urge to go back to that four-four-two. Be a little bit more compact in the midfield because we're just getting there's there's too much space in between the players and we're getting hit on the counter more like it's insane in Mallorca, Celta, Sevilla and Porto, and it's a problem. And if we continue to play like this against Real Madrid and like top opposition, they're not gonna waste the chances that those other four teams wasted. So I think that's another discussion for us to have, especially when the shabby goes like, I'm done with this 433 with three forwards up top. F it. I'm going back to the 442. I can't do this like this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
1: Well, it's function against result. Barca's defense in the Champions League right now, again, for Antwerp, so how much you put into that? But they have not only kept two clean sheets, the only other team to do so has been AC Milan with two 0-0 draws, but they have also conceded the least XG, even though Porto was on the front foot. Porto was the better team yesterday, and Barcelona were fortunate to get out of that one with a clean sheet and with the three points. But still, Barcelona had the least... Have you can see the least XG, or then, you know, expected goals, among the 32 teams in the Champions League this season, 1.01 in two matches. And again, a big deal about that has to do with the fact that Royal Antwerp, no disrespect to them. Yeah, they put up two against Shakhtar Donetsk, but they could arguably be the weakest team in, in the entire Champions League this season with what they put against Barcelona. Yeah, it's, it's about that result against formations thing, because when you watch the game, and we saw the game, Koundé had that important tackle on Pepe. Just a huge, huge monster showing by Kunde. Arau had the important tackle moments later. Balde had a huge defensive gaze that I spoke about in the five headlines yesterday. Really good from him. And then Cancelo was much more defensively sound yesterday in his positioning. It's interesting though, because people talk about his defense, and he's not actually a bad defender. Like I can admit, Sergino Desk, not a great 1v1 defender. Regardless of what it is, not a great, like doesn't really turn his hips well. Like he makes his mistakes. And there are defenders that People said the same thing about Semedo too. Like Semedo wasn't comfortable being pushed too far up ahead. So when he had to defend by running backwards on the back foot, Semedo wasn't a good defender in that situation. But if you allowed him to just be a defensive right back and try to stand up the opposition and deal with the wingers with his hips kind of forced to the sideline, Semedo was a fine defender. He just was so lacking offensively that he had to get a higher position up the field, which did leave him exposed. And he was kind of cut in between, stuck in between all these different minds of, of not being very good at that position. But Cancelo, I don't think is actually that poor defensively, especially when he's sticking to his position, which is what he did yesterday, because that is almost never the case. So when we talk about him defensive, we talk about his function of stepping into the midfield or like yesterday, having to provide width as well, because he's also being asked to be somewhere else on most occasions, other than just being a defensive right back. And very quickly, you notice that by the 15th to 17th minute, the two things that happened was Cancelo, who even in the first 10 minutes, I noticed was a bit wider at that point, it was Laminia I mean, All I know you don't feel well. I know you, you're not feeling great, but stand out there for, on the right wing. We may not even hit you. we likely won't. I'm going to get to that point in a second. And then Cancelo, you tuck in and you're going to stay pretty devout to being just an actual defensive right back because we're having an issue here. And then that channel in the middle between Romelu and Gundogan, again, by the 15th, 17th minute, that like completely closed up because they were way too spread out, as you mentioned. And the other question I actually want to ask you in Retort in a second here is should Gabi be the one dropping deeper instead? Because at this point, on paper, Gundogan should not be, how do I say this? Gundogan should be the one who's better at carrying the ball forward. But Gabi is the one that we've seen this season who is actually succeeding at carrying the ball forward. And if you're going to drop somebody in next to Rameu, it's got to be somebody who can vertically move the ball with the ball at his feet, unless Remeyu or Gabi or Gundogan or somebody in that midfield is going to start spraying those long balls wide because nothing is getting out to the wings. Really, it's not. Like, they're not switching play almost at all. So slow, a buildup is slow. That means that they're cutting down those passing angles like they did the first two minutes of that game. Romeu dispossessed twice in two minutes because Porto were just sitting in the passing lanes. And that channel in particular, if you're going to start Araujo, which defensively you do because he's one of the best defenders in the world, but if you're going to start Araujo and Koundé instead of Christensen and Kunde, then that Romeu to Araujo, little channel right there is going to be a problem because they want that movement. All teams, counterattack wise want that movement because Romeo and Araujo are not going to be sending that ball out to the wings. Like, that's not going to happen. That means that a pass has to happen from Araujo to Remeu. Then Romeu is going to receive, and another short pass is coming. If you're even going to shield off Romelu, then Araujo is the one who's going to have to make the movement forward in some way.
2: I'll say, especially about the defense against Porto. Obviously, Kunde was exceptional just incredible. Araujo was really good too. I thought Balde was really good too, especially considering how he had to like literally go up, go down, go up, go down. Porto had a lot of movement on his where uh, in his area. So he had to cover a lot of ground. And I would say, I think, honestly, I wasn't so pleased with Cancelo's defensive game especially and i think teams are starting to target that side especially that channel between Cancelo and whoever the right center back is mm-hmm. i mean against porto was araujo and it's complicated because we know how good he is offensively and how much is asked of him whether it's oh you got to like tuck in to the midfield no you got to go wide and support Rafinha or lamín yamal that more often than not and during a few times during the last few games that's the the area that gets caught that's it's Cancelo's back and teams i think are starting to target that area and uh, i think that porto did it quite a few times especially they they tried a few long balls on purpose through for that channel and the thing got non penalty was also on that channel as well and he was caught out cuz he i mean he has to do so much mo- so many things so i think xavi has to figure out a way, especially by having two left back and right back that attack so much because for the most part, we, I mean, during the heyday, we had Erika Vidal who would tuck in more and then Dani Alves had to do whatever the hell you want on that right side. But now that we have and then when Jordi Alba came in, it was a little bit of the opposite. It was Jordi Alba who just had a free roll and the right back would be a little bit more conservative. But now we have our left back and our right back are so they're so good offensively that I think it's we have to figure out and by we I mean Xavi a way to balance that a little bit because it we're getting caught especially on Cancelo's side in my opinion and then I completely agree with the whole Romeo Araujo thing but I to me one of the problems that I was talking about uh, about this with uh, my uh, ex-podcast partner, Julio, is that that I think we have a lot of players that uh, excel near the base of the midfield, near, they like to start the play. They don't like to receive up high between defenders because obviously that's the more complicated thing you're receiving between the lines where literally you have to control the ball, have a great first touch, and then think quick, turn around because you got four, five, six rivals near you so it's easier to be near the defenders because obviously Oriol romeo is a central defensive midfield is a defensive midfielder so that he's gonna be there frankie de Jong, he loves dropping deep and picking the ball from deep and then just passing or dribbling and whatnot gabi i think his best role is near the base as well gundogan Especially after those 10 horrible 15 minutes of Ariel Romeo. Gundogan had to drop deep and help out because Romeo has a lone pivot in big games with teams pressure pressuring us really high up. I think that's gonna be a problem. So you have Romeo, you have Frankie, you have Gabi, you have Gundogan, you got four midfielders that like to like literally start the play. And I think that's going to become a problem down the road because if you look at it, then who do we have that are able to get the ball in those tight spaces between defenders? Pedri is really injury-prone, and that's about what Fermin we're starting to see a little bit here and there. And then I think this is going to be the key. What is Xavi going to do with Joao Felix? Because right now, he's playing as a left winger. And I think hes it's basically that... Coutinho-esque role where there, we know that Joao Felix's preferred role is behind a typical number nine down the middle. And then he can free roam and do whatever he wants because he's really good. He's really good technically. But he's not a typical PD winger. He's not Vinicius. He's not Nico Williams. So when he gets the ball literally in the on the wing near the sideline, he, he's not gonna go by anybody. Purely on speed, like the the right back usually catches up with him. So what is and but what I'm trying to get at real quick before I end this is that he's the other guy alongside Pedri who is able to receive the ball in really tight spaces because he's so good. Technically, turn around, have a quick pass, one, two, blah, this and that. So what is Shelby going to do eventually with Joao Felix? Is he going to keep playing him on the left wing like he's a typical winger? Or if he's gonna eventually put João Felix in a more central role to help out with that, because he has so many midfielders that it, like their preferred role is not high up, is down with, near the 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 defense. So I, it's just a lot of questions that I don't.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I will push back a, a few things here. I think that João Felix, you know, believe it or not, like. Whether or not his ceiling is worth his price tag and all those different conversations we can have later about him. As far as his function, I think in Xavi's system, I'm actually pretty happy with it. Like I, I think with Valde being the left winger that he is and having the speed that he does and being able to dribble inside the way he does, I mean Felix, if anything, I mean people argued and I saw stuff about him being selfish or whatever yesterday, but I, I push back on that too. I think Felix has been just fine. I think Felix was rising to the moment. And I think he's been really deadly at that far post. I think he works really well, as you mentioned, off a number nine and getting into those pockets, kind of playing off that shoulder inside the box. But I I think he's also good enough on the ball that he's helpful for buildup. I think he tries to, every now and again, tries to run the channels very much like Rafinha is an undercredited thing, an undercredited thing that Rafinha does as well, trying to run those half spaces and come in behind. And I think, yeah, I'm actually fine with the way Shao Felix functions in the team, but yes. Can he achieve? Can he score goals? Can he get assists? Like, cause his whole price tag and everything and what he's costing is a star's ransom. Right. So it's like, unless he's going to become a, or really look like a star right now, he looks like a, a piece of the, the puzzle. He, he looks like a cog in a, in a, in a machine that could win La Liga, certainly. And we'll see how they go farther. They go in the champions league and for the ball, day thing think too. Yeah. I mean, it would be perfect, right, if he would tuck in, but that's not who Balde is at all. Like Balde has been, again, a very good defender based on what his skill set was at the lower divisions and maybe now using his body and physicality and speed. And he has really good timing, too. I think people kind of underestimate that about Balde's defensive abilities. But I do push back a little bit on the, the base thing because I think that Gabi and Pedri and Gundogan, like, I mean, who he was at Bruce Dortmund. And who he was at Man City is a player who actually does receive the ball really well in tight spaces and retains the ball in that we'll, we'll say that second phase of play, which is receiving the ball on the turn and turning with it. Him, Pedri, and Gabi, I think, are all really good at that. And to that point, like people say, why with De Young out is everything crumbling? Like why is it built like that? And I think. Not to say, not to discredit Order Vermeiu, but you see the limitations in the buildup of what he is. That's why yesterday, the only thing that really concerned me wasn't even the, counters, the counterattacks. It was the mistakes that Barca made in the buildup that led to those counterattacks. And again, the main thing that, to address for Xavi is figuring out, hey, Araujo and Remeu, maybe stop passing to each other. Maybe we have to figure out a different permutation. Maybe you have Araujo. I know you don't have that in your, your toolbox right now, but yeah, maybe you need to hoof that ball out to the wings and then we try to win that second ball. Because that's better than, again, having Orrimeu, who is not necessarily the player that Busquets was, on the turn. Because that is another thing about Busquets. Those two things that he did that are completely irreplaceable is his long balls out to those diagonals were pitcher perfect. In the, pa- in the path, like, yeah, he made mistakes, but that just, the buildup, it opened up everything. And then with, with Busquets, he could be alone, as a lone pivot on the turn. And he got caught. And defensively, sometimes when he got caught, and of course, the counterattack is coming the way, and you can immediately blame a goal on Busquets. But even last season, and even doing it for Inter Miami, you're wearing the jersey, you've seen it. And he's, just, he's so good on the turn of receiving with pressure on him and dealing with that pressure in a way that Romelu does it to a certain level, but questioning, does Or Romelu do it at a Champions League level, like a Porto level, who, a good team, they hadn't lost at home in eight months. Can Oro Romelu do it at that level? No. Which again, does not disparage to Remeu. It's just Or Romelu is a backup on a good team as opposed to a starting pivot or a superstar pivot who can deal with Champions League caliber pressure. Because again, another thing too, or Romeo, again, Shakhtar Donetsk and World Antwerp, Antwerp. I trust him in that situation. It's again, this was for the group. It was three points. Like that's the big picture too. Barca, we're going to do the, the the VRR stuff in a second. <laughs> but like Barca played not as well as Porto, still won the game, still kept the clean sheet. It all worked out. So we are kind of nitpicking about what needs to change. But certainly, yes, I think dropping either Gabi or... or going to win is part of it but to me it's actually about survival more than anything else like pedri he's got to get fit because i agree with you i would love to see gabi dropping in deeper as well i think he's been so impressive to me this year he's been barca's best midfielder and i would argue Kounde and gabi i was thinking about this yesterday with Kounde. Kunde and gabi have been Barca's two best players this season i don't and i can't really think of like a third maybe I mean, maybe Ferran Torres with the timeliness of the goals she scored, but Lewandowski's also scored some goals. But we also know that they've kind of struggled in their own ways in certain matches. So to me, it's Koundé and it's Gabi. They've been head and shoulders above everyone else. And I have trusted Gabi so far now this year. If he wants to drop in deeper, then Pedri coming back will allow him to do that. You rotate Gundogan every now and again, or you have Gundogan be the pivot, and then you rotate Romeo out the way that it was for the last two matches prior to that. So I do think that there are ways to solve some of these problems until Frankie de Jong gets back. And I think, again, what you saw in those two 5-0s, like Real Betis, it's not a throwaway game. Like You saw the best version of Barcelona and what that can look like, and you need Frankie de Young to be healthy. And it would really help if Pedri was healthy too.
2: No, I agree. And the thing with Oriol Romeo is I'm not mad because we knew what he was and what we were getting. We're not expecting him to he Sergio Busquets or anything like that. He's a, he's a patch until we're able to find a suitable defensive midfielder when we get enough money exactly so
1: he's 3.5 mil if he was if he was moises Casado for chelsea and he had that performance yesterday at 160 mil exactly
2: so and 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 to me this is i'm not mad at him because this is what i expected of him and then i well i had a hunch that he wasn't gonna be good enough for the big games and it's well yeah against porto we kind of got like come like Affirmation of that, and I think during the big games when everybody's healthy, of course, we're gonna see a mix of Frankie and Gundogan in that defensive midfielder role, and then. So I'm not mad at it. I just want to make, make that clear. And with Gaby, I'm 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 talking about right now. I I've never loved Gabi up top. Like right now, maybe he's he'll be able to get better at that for me, in my opinion. But right now, I I don't think he's quite there to be able to give us that extra something up top, like Pedri, or even a Yoel Felix in those tight spaces. That's oh, why when he started playing a little bit...
1: Let me add that. A, even the counterattacks for Gabi. So Gabi, so good in that rest defense. Like, I'd, I actually prefer Gabi to be the one, when Bars have a corner, that one can't get past the first man, which happened like three or four times, twice of which led to counterattacks, by the way. You've got to beat that first man on the corners. Like, you have to. Like, bounce... Bad bounces and losing those duels are one thing on corners, but like, if you don't beat that first man, they're off to the races. With, with an easy summon. And that happened twice with One. So that's just my point on that. But for Gabi, I would love to have him set up in the rest defense, being deeper. As you mentioned, like his runs into the box should be... I can't believe he's the one who... I would love to use Baccaro. Like I wish people would do your homework. Baccaro is the example. But Polino's the example I'm going to use. Because Polino, that is what the run that Gabi, if he's a late runner into the box. Same thing with De Young. Don't push De young forward. But if De Young is the late runner into the box that is where they're fine. But set them up deeper in that rest defense. Allow them to win those aerial duels. Or, I mean, Gabi's <laughs> five foot nothing. But anyway, like, he still does. Like, he still wins the duels, and he still fights on the counter and picks up a lot of yells in those ways. But I can forgive those, because if you set him up to succeed when the other team is trying to clear their lines, he will get that ball back in, and he is good enough on the ball to play a ball that's going to set you up for the final pass.
2: And and with with Gundogan, I, I agree. Like, in, in Dortmund and uh, in City... Like, he obviously, he played up top. He was able to play in tight spaces and whatnot. But in my opinion, I haven't seen that player so far show up at Barcelona yet. And I when, and whenever he's been, like, near the, the edge of the box and in tight spaces, I've seen him, like, that half a step slower, like, turning around, decision-making, and a little bit, like, not that great of a touch and whatnot. So far. So if the... Gundogan of Manchester City eventually gets here which I hope so then I wouldn't I completely agree playing him up top but so far I think the best he's looked it's when he's dropped deep and he I don't know if it was against Sevilla they would, I think it was against Sevilla that he played as the, like the lone defensive midfielder that Romeo got a uh, got a rest yeah I think it was against Sevilla whatever game he played as a lone defensive midfielder I think he was amazing he was able to get out of the press turn around quickly Uh, I I love them in in that role. So that's what I'm trying to get at that right now, uh, the first week of October so far from what we've seen this season. I think we have a lot of players that are either really good or that's their role playing near the base. And we don't have that many players that are able to have that magic touch or like take the bunny out of the hat and things like that.
1: This next week could be really telling. That game against Granada with Fermi Lopez could be really telling. I think he's got really good ball retention, and he's just an attacking midfielder. And again, Pedri being out was the other thing. That is the other attacking midfielder. That's the other high interior you have in your system, and Fermi Lopez doing his best at that. Like, um, like for
2: me, against Sevilla, I, I, I just want to have like make that clear because I, I didn't talk about that game on, on your podcast, but I was completely in awe. Of Fermín López's game against Sevilla, everything that he did was amazing. First touch, how quickly he turned around, how quickly he knew when to pass sideways, how quickly he knew when to take the ball forward. He was simply amazing. And if we are able to get that Fermín López until Pedri eventually returns, then obviously that's gonna be that's gonna make a ton of difference. So I just wanna make that clear that that performance was to me. Insane in a good way that he was just simply amazing against Sevilla. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quitgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: Very much like the me all, we kind of know like how far can you push it? But for me, Lopez is a 20-year-old, and you're not really sure how far you can push it. So I'd love to continue to push those boundaries on on what he can provide for you. all right. This is gonna be a shorter show because I did pretty long five headlines yesterday. Didn't have a great day today. So final thing for you is about VAR. Because I gave my verdict yesterday, I was astounded on that handball that there was enough to overturn it. Like, I just figured because he called penalty, it would just be a penalty. But they said that it was enough on the Porto player's arm, Musekio, to overturn that, which is, I guess, by letter of the law, that's where his arm was. That's where the ball was. They have a, the angle, and so they overturn it. It's the first half Kunde contact on Toremi when he grabbed the shirt and came through him with the tie, with, with his thigh, I mean, came through his leg. How is that not called a penalty? I don't. That one was one that I don't know. I don't
2: know how that one was. It wasn't because to me, that was 100% a penalty. And this is why we never understand anything. And I'm not even talking about VAR. It's just about, like, this will never get fixed. And I like people, people, oh, VAR this, VAR that. VAR, in my opinion, it was made for. Black and white place, meaning offside. Like, there's no, oh, maybe he's offside. But obviously, if you get it wrong, like the Liverpool Tottenham game, then, yeah, that thing can happen. Or if you align the lines in an incorrect way, then, yes, that's an error. But if you align the lines in a how they're supposed to, you're either off or you're on. There's no debate. That's it. So, for me, VAR is great for these black and white plays. But handballs, we're never going to know because they keep changing what is a handball, what isn't. Is this in a natural position? Did it touch only the shoulder? Did it eventually touch the biceps? I don't know because there's, fr- there's frames where Eustachio, it looks like the ball just hit like his shoulder. Yeah. And then you see another frame, and it looks like after that it hit his bicep, and his bicep is that's a handball. Your butt, like if it the, if the ball touches your bicep, that's a handball. That's not part of your shoulder. That's more forward. So to me, I agree the Taremi one again. How many times do we see shirt poles, and some get called, some don't get called? So that's why people get annoyed when it goes against your team or it doesn't because we never know.
1: It's even from league to league and referee to referee. Like, I mean, the stat for Casemiro, I don't have it pulled up, but Kool-Aid, obviously. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to this, we're going to love this one. Yeah, the fact that he got, what he got more red cards already with Manchester United than he did in all of his years with Real Madrid. Like, already, it's been like a year and a half and it was like six years of Real Madrid and he's already broken that because the Premier League is like, why are you doing that? Like you can't, you can't go in like that. You can't you got You can't pull the shirt like that, Casemiro. Even, even get- Sergio
2: Ramos, like the Sevilla game, he was saying that. Oh, it's 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 clear now that some teams like don't have the same power against like the same <laughs> stature. I was like, well, you you know what you're implying, right? right? Sure. It's like, yeah, well, he, I, we know he's not the brightest cookie in the jar, but yeah. it's that's why I like with VAR. I love VAR. Like the whole concept of it, but we need to remind ourselves that VAR is operated by human beings. Well, so yeah. VAR isn't the one that the like people oh VAR this VAR that no the humans that are controlling VAR are the ones that then in these like they're not objective they're subjective because a handball a foul like for me this would be enough to be a foul. For you, it might not be enough. So, at the end of the day, I think the, the Koundé one, first of all, the shirt pull. And if you don't think that was enough, then he, he just smashed his knee in Taremi's southern region. So, to me, we got away with that one. The second one, I see obviously, Cancelo got lucky because that was a handball by Cancelo. So, if Eustachios hadn't been considered a handball, then it would have been a handball by Cancelo. But I think... We don't know for sure because there's one frame that it looks like it just hit him on the shoulder, and then other then there's other frames that it looks like on top of hitting the him in the shoulder, it also touched his his bicep, which is handball. So to me, I was surprised because I thought they were just just gonna call a penalty. I was expecting the worst, so I was pleasantly surprised. But it's it's it, it was one year ago yesterday, Inter Barcelona, and that Dumfries handball. That wasn't called. So we're here a year later with the... It's insane. The second game or the third game... I mean, this is the second game. I think the game against there was the third game of the group stage. But we're sitting here a year later. Exactly a year later after that happened. That call didn't go away. Our way. And basically that was the snow effect. The, the, the avalanche of us getting knocked out again in the group stage. And now... A fifty fifty call did go away. And I don't think sadly sadly this will ever
1: get fixed with handballs. Well, it's like like what are we trying to fix is a question. Not to get all like zany abstract on you, but what are we trying to fix? I think we're trying to actually fix the communication to the fans, like at the end of the day, this is a game that is entertainment and the money, the real money in the sport is in the broadcast, is in like this being put on for people and for fans and fans have an understanding of what's happening. So to me, as I've always said, I'm okay with referees making mistakes. I'm okay with VAR even making a mistake. Like I can live with a mistake by VAR. I know it's meant to be perfect, but it's not like, I'm okay with them not having the right angle or not even not right angle, but like not being able to make a concrete decision or not be able to overturn it or by the letter of the law, Trying to, there is gray area in all of these different rulings. And I'm totally fine with that. But what I would love, and this is a free little tip for, for UEFA, but I will want royalties on this. So I would put like a referee producer, like you and I have been behind the scenes. I would put, no joke, like a referee producer in the VAR booth of them because they can hear and communicate with the referee for everything. So I would find a way on broadcast, whether it's it finally gets up to the booth or it's like a little ticker on the bottom even. Like you throw a little graphic on and somebody's there to, you put a graphic guy next to him, like, and then they, they write it up real quick about, about what the final ruling was. Just so everyone is on the same page, even if you disagree with it, right? Like you can disagree with the ref, like, and I've done that before. You could disagree with VAR even, you know, but also they made that choice. You have to live with that choice. But what was that choice? And I think the communication to like to broadcasts, to fans, and sometimes they do it better in stadium than they do even on television, like when we're watching at home. So a better, I think, a better communication with fans at home and in the stadiums as to what the ruling was. Like you don't have to defend your ruling. You know what but I'm then saying? This,
2: we were having, well, not we in this podcast, but on on Twitter now, X. This whole handball discussion less than a week ago, Real Madrid, Girona, Jude Bellingham. People before the game was still nil nil, and Bellingham, in my opinion, throws his left arm completely and blocks a shot that wasn't called the penalty because they were saying that he, that was his standing arm, which in my opinion, it wasn't because his right arm already had a grasp of of the ground. So we
1: we hear that. Like, did we learn that? Like I'm saying, like, do we do do we know from the referee that like, we heard that from the report afterward, but I'm saying it's like in live times, you're watching that broadcast.
2: No, no, exactly. That I, exactly. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm using your example, like what you said, and using another example because I completely agree. We never knew. And then there was this whole all-out war on Twitter between Barcelona and Madrid fans, both of them trying to justify whether they thought it was a handball or it wasn't. And during the broadcast, we never knew exactly what, what exactly you said. Why did the ref not give that as a penalty? We may not, uh, we may agree or we may not agree, but we never heard from his mouth what well, that wasn't uh, a penalty because Jude Bellingham's right arm, left arm, this and that. Well, we never knew. So we were just literally just battling Barcelona fans and Madrid fans on Twitter trying to justify though, according to this rule or according to this play three weeks ago and whatnot. And then we don't have that, sadly. And this is not like, like NFL football, like where the referee gets grounding, roughing the passer, eighty-five, blah blah blah. You may not agree. You may agree or not that that was past interference. That happens all the time, but mm-hmm. at least you know what he
1: called. Yeah, I mean, and the game starts so quick; it's too hard on the head referee in the middle of the field. That's why, again, if you have VAR and you have people in the booth with eight monitors like we've seen it eight to ten yeah. twelve monitors like if you have multiple people just put two more like uefa instead of giving out bigger bonuses to the bigger to the people in the, <laughs> like instead of bigger and bigger bonuses just put two additional people on payroll you d- just pay them above the above the minimum and give them benefits i don't i'm more like i get into this but yeah just pay them a living wage and put them sit them next to again the var team for communication again like a headset to them up to the producer, up in the booth. Then again, the broadcasters could even say it, but the referees ruled. Because again, the head referee, that's the difference between that and the NFL is that the game immediately starts again if it wasn't ruled anything. And you're not going to stop the... I do, like, the thing about the game that we love so much is that it keeps moving. It doesn't stop. So you just you got to keep it moving. But anyway, thinking of keep it moving, I, we've now done over an hour and 20 or whatever minutes between you and I on Porto. So that's it. That's Aldo Movie Football at the Barcelona Pod for me or at Hilton D13 on everywhere you can find me in the different locations and anyway so follow him the Movie Football wherever you get your stuff especially in the Spanish content as I always remind you and as always until next time we're Sparta